Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stress and de-stress, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and SEMA markets. It's Tuesday, July the 4th, and I'm Caterina Dassier. And I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, we will be discussing French retailer Casino as creditors grapple to come to terms with the group's latest proposal to overall its debt-laden structure amid continued operational underperformance and widening structural flaws. Then we will talk through the key highlights of the primary market this week. But first, we're going to talk about Thames Water as it struggles with its £14 billion debt burden. been a lot of discussion in the press about Thames Water in the past week. We keep hearing about Thames Water being around £14 billion in debt. We have legal director Celine Buddenshaw with us today. Hi Celine. Can you shed some light and provide some background, please? Thanks, Katrina. I think to understand how Thames Water found themselves in this situation, we need to talk a little bit about how water is regulated in the UK. The water companies act as regional monopolies, and so, in London, Thames Water is both the supplier of water and the owner of the water network. The water companies are regulated by Ofwat, which is a government body. Ofwat controls the price of water and the revenue that regulated companies like Thames Water can receive from the consumer. Ofwat also sets minimum standards to ensure that the water and sewerage systems are fit for purpose. The thing to remember is that the water and sewage networks in England are ageing. They're not built to the scale required, and those of us who live in London will know about the endless roadworks and water leaks, which only seem to be getting worse. The current state of the network does not comply with all the environmental obligations the regulators have set, but fixing these issues whilst maintaining an economically functional company is not easy or cheap. To date, Thames Water have said there is a £10 billion funding shortfall for what they think they need to invest in the short term to hit their regulatory obligations. As Thames Water can't simply increase the prices they can set, they are reliant on their creditors and shareholders. The problem is that some of the shareholders seem to be going quiet, leaving the government no choice but to dust off its contingency plans. Okay, wow, that's quite a potted history of uh, our water networks. Thank you. And so back to the present day. Why is this happening now? There are a lot of factors at play at the moment, so I'll pick out what we feel are key. Firstly, there's inflation. More than half of the group's debt is linked to interest. So if inflation goes up, the cost of debt rises. Secondly, compliance breaches. The obligations related to sewerage set by Ofwat have been breached before, and in fact there are many breaches right now by others as well as Thames Water. What's interesting is that recently the Environment Agency has started to intensify its pressure in a wide-ranging investigation of the industry. This separate regulator has the power to impose criminal fines, and combined with the financial penalties imposed by Ofwat in relation to extensive water leakages, could be another reason the water companies are getting more serious about spending to fix the network. Thirdly, costs. As I mentioned, Thames Water can't just put up the price of their services. Ofwat may well agree to a price rise, but as we've seen with the electricity markets, this could be politically disastrous given our cost of living crisis. So it doesn't feel like increased revenue is going to be made available through this route. There were also extensive costs related to water leakage and basic maintenance of the water and sewerage network, such as the roadworks and pipe replacements mentioned earlier. 
And lastly, of course, additional funding from existing creditors and members is not necessarily easily available right now. Lastly, the accounts. So these will be published in early July. However, the board also has to certify to Offward that for the next 12 months, Thames Water will effectively be able to supply our water and meet their other obligations. Now, when you combine the resignation of the CEO, certain shareholder statements about support or otherwise, the sudden interest in Thames Water and the timing of the accounts, these all feel like they could be linked. And so, Celine, more generally, uh, why do we keep hearing about special administration? The government mentioned that it was contingency planning, and so all heads turned to the special administration, as this is a mechanism in which the Secretary of State has the power, with the consent of Treasury, to directly fund the company and grant indemnities to cover liabilities. This feels a bit like a quasi-nationalisation, with the exception that it is intended to be transitional, and the special administration doesn't actually transfer ownership of the group to the state. There are multiple grounds for filing for a special administration, including a breach of a principal duty to develop and maintain suitable water and sewerage systems, or an inability to pay debts as they due, a cash flow insolvency, or a balance sheet insolvency. We are all waiting with bated breath to hear which of these may be used in any petition if it comes to it. We have never had a water company special administration, so we naturally turned to Wessex Water, which was transferred as a going concern when its owner collapsed in 2001. This transfer occurred prior to the special administration regime's existence, but it is useful to illustrate how a transfer could happen. We can look at Bulb, which was transferred using a special administration in 2022, but the electricity markets are very different to the water ones. For starters, Bulb was a supplier of electricity and not a network owner. As such, the main concern in that special administration was ensuring customers could be part of a different supplier without disruption. With Thames, as explained earlier, it's a regional monopoly, so customers can't be switched to a competitor. For completeness, we also have RailTrack in 2002, which was transferred into public ownership under Network Rail. However, we know that public ownership of water is not politically seen as an economically viable option. And combined with the complexities of how the water licences works, it seems very unlikely that a nationalisation will occur. And so what are the likely options for Thames Water? Well, they could keep the status quo, but that could only happen with shareholder and creditor support. We understand that talks of shareholders are ongoing, and we would imagine that amongst their discussions must be conversations about the debt stack, the significant short-term need, and surely whether water companies will be allowed to increase their charges to fix their networks. It feels difficult to imagine that shareholders or creditors would provide lifelines if nothing changes within the existing situation. So the alternatives... Well, in 2010, the Water Industry Act 1991 was amended to impose a duty on a special administrator to seek a rescue as a going concern, rather than simply transferring the ring fence business to a new owner. Transfer of the business is incredibly difficult, because you would need to find someone willing to take over the supply of customers in addition to the ownership of the network, and get a license for the same. In respect of a rescue of the company, then, it's important to remember that any rescue as a going concern will only be in respect of the part of the group that is necessary to ensure the continued functions of the duties of a licensed water supplier. In the case of Thames Water, that is a regulated opco, Thames Water Utilities Limited. Whether the special administrator decides to restructure the group's debt or hive off Thames Water Utilities as part of that, 
We need to remember that the key focus of a special administration is to protect essential services for the public, and so we would expect at least some disappointed creditors. And is this the tip of the iceberg? Well, potentially. Yorkshire Water has recently raised five hundred million pounds from shareholders, which follows a recent seven hundred million pound raise from bondholders. And Southern Water has put out a statement that investors continue to be supportive, and is rumored to be close to a deal with Macquarie, a shareholder, to provide a five hundred million pound injection. So we just have to wait and see. Thank you, Celine. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. So Casino has remained very topical,、um, especially after they published a business plan last week, which you've actually done some analysis on. So Nikhil, could you give us a brief overview of some of the key points you found? Yeah. Hi, Andrew. So. Casino put out a business plan where it highlighted some of the operational targets and goals, as well as providing a forecast of its financials.、Um, it also went on to say that it was looking to equitize at least all of the unsecured debt, and it then followed this up by saying it aimed to equitize between one and one and a half billion euros of secured debt, and that was mainly comprising of the sort of term loan and RCF. So, in our analysis、um, that we put together. We sensitise casinos' forecast to see what the proposed restructurings mean for the group、um, and its capital structure, and whether if it was enough to get to a more sustainable level. Using casinos' business plan forecast,、um, when leaving all the secured debt holders untouched and equitising all the unsecured debt,、um, we estimated that it still left the company overlevered. So under this scenario, we estimate it results in an LTV of about eighty percent. Hence, the group's latest proposal of an equitization of around 1.5 billion of secured debt may be needed to obtain a more sustainable capital structure. We estimate that the base case LTV would fall to about 64% if this were to happen.、Um, and further details can be sort of found in our analysis, which we published、um, last week, Friday, on 30th of June. There has also been other news since the analysis regarding the group, particularly in relation to potential offers for the business. Yes.、Yeah, so this week we reported that Casino had received two fresh offers for the business. One offer being led by Czech billionaire Daniel Kretinsky, who is the major or majority owner of EP Global Commerce,、uh, which is a Czech company、um, affiliated with a minority casino shareholder, Visa Equity Investment. Kretinsky is working with the CEO of Fimlac, which is another shareholder of the company. Together, these investors are reportedly looking at a proposal which includes 1.35 billion、um, worth of, of euros of new equity、um, for the business. The plan includes 900 million of equity brought by Kretinsky and Fimlac、um, in Casino, according to the press reports. While the remaining 450 million euros of new equity would be provided by casinos' creditors, and the other offer,、um, yeah. So the other offer comes from an investment vehicle called 3F Holding, and it's led by Moz Alexander Zauri,、uh, Xavier Neal, and Matteo Pigasse.、Um, 3F are proposing to invest、uh, 900 million in the group upon completion of the transaction, and that's obviously subject to customary conditions as well. The proposed restructuring of the group's debt would would result in a significant re- reduction of Casino's debt burden,、um, which is also said by the group. 
Casino said these two proposals will be analysed and presented to the ad hoc committee of Casino's board of directors today, and they, and then to the creditors at the meeting tomorrow, 5th of July. Casino also said that the main terms of each of these proposals will be made public at the end of that meeting. Thanks, Nico. I had a call earlier with a high-yield reporter, Beatrice Marbrolion, about the highlights of the primary market so far this week. Here is what she said. So the, the primary market has been quite active recently. Um, there have been two deals to fund shareholder distributions, uh, demonstrating some market confidence. Um, these are the new notes being marketed for Profine, a manufacturer of PVC window frames, and also the notes priced last week for chemicals company Pollint. However, investors have said that a lot of the current issuance feels very opportunistic, taking advantage of strong demand for paper following a period of low issuance. New bonds were launched this morning by energy equipment distributor Amara and um, gaming company Sursa, with investors highlighting that the Amara deal may be, may be challenging to get across the line. In the loan market, term loan B extensions continued. There were um, amend and extend transactions in the market last week for petrol station forecourt operator EG Group and Identity Technologies Group Edemia. Vegetable spread maker Upfield and customized warehouse solutions company Stowe are still in the market with loan extensions. Investors considering Upfield's loan extensions said they were encouraged by the group's strong performance over recent months with input costs offset by higher prices. However, many investors expressed concern over the company's outlook, considering the pressure uh, to lower prices amid the economic downturn and the cost of living crisis. Additionally, higher interest costs as a result of the deal will, will reduce free cash flow, leaving little cash for meaningful deleveraging. A couple new CLOs from Onyx and Bain also printed recently, boosting demand for loans. Reorg will be speaking to Cobb and King for a webinar on Azure Power. We aim to discuss the potential event of the fold triggers, the delisting process and associated risk for bondholders, and possible recovery scenarios and outcomes. Register now at reorg.com or email marketing at reorg.com for further information. More details on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Euro podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.